from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, this is program number two of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. On today's program, we'll walk down a picturesque mountain trail designed to be experienced instead of viewed. Join the largest number of blind people to ever be in one place at one time and experience typhoon damage in the Philippines. The White River National Forest is the most visited national forest in the United States. It includes more ski areas than any national forest, the second best whitewater rafting and kayaking in the United States after the Grand Canyon, and a hiking trail designed especially for us. We're driving east out of Aspen, Colorado, up Independence Pass. The steep road has so many sharp turns on it, no vehicles longer than 35 feet are allowed on the road. And I'm experiencing the ride without any vision. It feels like a theme park ride. After a few minutes, we pull into a parking lot for two nature trails especially designed for folks with disabilities. The Discovery Trail, which is completely wheelchair accessible, and the trail we're headed for. So we're at a sign that says the Roaring Fork Braille Trail, and it has a picture of Lewis Braille. It says the Roaring Fork Braille Trail in the White River National Forest honors the life of Lewis Braille and his contribution to sightless people throughout the world. The trail is self-guided and appeals to sighted people by identifying the plants and animals that occur along the trail. This trail is dedicated to all people, blind and sighted, in the hopes that they will have their own experience with nature similar to that of Lewis Braille 150 years ago. I'm being guided by White River National Forest Aspen Area Recreation Manager Shelley Grail on the Braille Trail. Braille is a system of using one to six raised dots, which represent all of the letters and punctuation, used in reading and writing many languages of the world. It was invented by Louis Braille in 1826. Ironically, this sign isn't printed in Braille, but all of the rest of the signs are as well as in print. Before Louis invented Braille, blind people could only read by feeling raised block letters on a page, a very slow and awkward process. Each line on the rest of the signs are printed in raised block letters with braille underneath them. It means blind people can feel what block letters feel like, and sighted friends can close their eyes and compare the two systems. So it says, welcome to the Braille Nature Trail. This trail was designed by Bob Lewis to give all visitors an opportunity to use their senses to better understand and enjoy nature. The guide rope along the left side of the path will help visitors stay on the trail. A single knot in the rope indicates an upcoming interpretive sign. The trail length is equivalent to one city block and traverses some uneven terrain. Oh, I'm going down. You're oh, going down, yes. Yes, okay. Oh, I'm holding on to a rope. It's a, like a clothesline. It's a nylon rope, so it's comfortable. The trail is a loop. The internet says it's only two-tenths of a mile long, but it seems much longer. 
you should plan an hour and a half to do the loop. The Engelmann spruce and subalpine fir trees are the most common conifers in this area. Reach down to your left, touch a small young fir tree. This is the one that your, your cane was reaching. Oh yeah, okay. Feel the flat, friendly needles and flat twig bark, which does not have scars from falling needles. Reach up to your right to find the branch of a large, mature spruce tree. Which it, has nasty needles on it. it. Square, sharp <laughs> needles right. and raised needle scars on the bare twigs. Since the trail is a loop, you get to experience sun and shade. Now I'm going, Still going down, down a fairly steep area. And huh, there's lots of obstacles to the field. These are rocks. Those rocks line the trail. Oh. So the main trail surface is just the small crusher finds. Okay, I is a little bit to the left, I guess. Now you're right on track. Okay. Now, and I'm going, wow, it's going down steeper again. There's a knot, okay, and another sign. Since we're near Aspen, I expected to find aspen trees. I was wrong. The majority of our aspen on this Highway 82 corridor are down in lower elevation. But their Independence Pass is spectacular in the fall. It is, but lower in elevation than where we're standing right now. In addition to experiencing the feel of the forest floor, the trail is located at 10,400 feet above sea level, which is about 1,000 feet below timberline and about two miles from the summit of Independence Pass and the Continental Divide. When people usually read Braille, it's printed on paper or things like numbers on hotel doors or elevators. Reading it on the Braille Trail is different, especially in the fall. This is September 13th, so it's about 10.45 in the morning, and this sign is cold. It's a metal sign with the Braille on it. And so it's kind of unusual for people to have to read Braille in very cold weather. If it was much colder, it would be harder. Independence Pass closes in the winter. When does it close, It tip, It closes based on weather or the time of year. So I would imagine if we have a nice dry fall, the road could close as late as the middle of November. If we see some heavy snows in October, for example, the pass could close then. It all depends. So these metal signs will be warmer in the summer. Independence Pass is Colorado State Highway 82, connecting Leadville to Aspen, Colorado. So you can get to the trail from either end of the pass. There is no public transportation to the trail. One of the things overlooked in the planning of the trail is that you go around the loop to the left and have to hold the rope with your left hand. Since almost all guide dog users keep their dogs on the left side, you won't be able to have your dog guide you. You'll have to hold it on your right hand on the leash. That would have been solved if you went around the loop in the other direction. I was a little dubious about the trail when I heard people describe it, but I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of new tactile experiences and learned a lot. There are picnic tables at the Braille Trail and a number of campgrounds on the pass and spectacular scenery for your sighted companions. For more information, contact the White River National Forest Aspen Ranger District by phone 
or search for the White River National Forest on the Internet. I'd like to thank Quinn Young from the Forest Service for also helping with this story. Since I had one hand on the rope and the other holding my white cane, she held the microphone. If you don't know other people who are blind or have low vision, you should. You'll be able to share solutions to many mutual problems. We'd like to welcome Phyllis Chavez to the Tactile Traveler who has filed her first report from the ultimate place to network with folks that are blind and visually impaired. It's the largest gathering of blind and visually impaired people in the world. More than 3,300 people from all over the world. It's the National Federation of the Blind 2019 National Convention. You can step off an elevator into a hallway with more than a thousand people using white canes and guide dogs in front of you. An exciting challenge for convention goers, but a real shock for sighted people who happen to be staying at the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. Edwards, Colorado resident Renee Anderson is totally blind as a reaction from birth control pills. I learned more about ways to to adapt to being blind, ways to build more confidence. I like to remember that I'm a confident woman that happens to be blind, that I am not afraid to try anything, that I, I know whatever I encounter I will be able to handle because I've, I've learned how to do it. I've learned how to accept what happens, happens, and let's, let's move forward. 60-year-old Buddy Collier from Henderson, Nevada is at his first convention. I'm a, I think you might call me a high partial, I think. And uh, I sort of thought I would be out of place here. But uh, I found some others who also identify that way. So it makes you, makes you realize you're not alone. By high partial, Buddy means he has some useful vision. 22-year-old Patrick Moorhead is at his second convention. The first one was in actually 2012, and I was a lot younger then. That was when I was 16, and I came this year because like, I'm a little, I'm actually a lot more mature, and I know what they're talking about. And my first convention, I just thought it was boring, but now I keep coming for the seminars and people tell people telling us stories of what blind people can accomplish if they set their minds to it is that important to you oh very much so very much so lots of kids well under 16 go to the conventions sighted parents of blind children frequently start coming to the conventions and bring their baby with them so they have activities for children of all ages. 56-year-old Sherman Stevens from Appaloosa, Louisiana, attends the convention in a wheelchair. Well, I was born with cerebral palsy, and that has something to do with my vision loss. My first convention was 1985. I enjoyed activities. I enjoyed uh, the people, and it's, it's, I learned more and more each time I come. 
31-year-old Tara Chavez, not related to me, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is a regular convention goer. This is my Federation family, and I am excited to be around other Federationists from around the country. In the Federation, we believe that blindness is just another characteristic. It does not define you or your future. You can live the life you want, no matter what that is. The biggest thing most people get out of the convention is just seeing so many blind people go on with their life and do everything. Next year's convention will be held in Houston, Texas. Hey, fellas, you've been to six conventions. What makes you keep coming back? I come back because of everything I've learned from the convention, educationally, socially, and learning about new technologies available for blind people. I come to the conventions because I like learning about what is new that will be beneficial for me. Thank you, Phyllis. No one ever wants to get one of these text message alerts. The National Weather Service has issued a severe weather alert. Seek shelter immediately and wait for the all-clear notification. Unfortunately, because of climate change, these warnings might become more common in the United States and around the world. For example, countries like the Philippines have been increasingly hit by severe storms. We call them hurricanes, they call them typhoons. And blind or visually impaired people living in that island nation face some of the greatest risks posed by these violent storms. We're welcoming reporter Jason Struther to the Tactile Traveler. Jason, who is based in Seoul, South Korea, will be doing stories for us from Asia and is home on the east coast of the United States. Jason wanted to know how people who are blind and visually impaired survive devastating typhoons. He brings us this story from the city of Tacloban in the Philippines. Manilin Barande lives with her husband and three children in a shack on top of a dock that overlooks the Anibang Bay. She's 25 years old and lost most of her vision by the time she was a teenager. In November 2013, her family was evacuated to a nearby hospital as Typhoon Haiyan approached this coastal Philippine city. But even inside the shelter, they were not safe. She says the evacuation center was flooded all the way up to her neck. They had to stand on top of chairs. She says all that she could do was just hold on to her children before she could get to the rooftop. Dahil sa taglay nitong puwersa, hinahanay po ngayon ang mga eksperto ang Super Typhoon Yolanda. Typhoon Haiyan, known locally as Yolanda, was a Category 5 storm with winds up to 195 miles per hour. But the flooding inside the evacuation center was caused by an 18-foot storm surge in the bay that sent water rushing onto land like a tidal wave. Barande says because of her vision, she felt helpless. She says, if it wasn't for my husband, I don't know if my children and I would have survived. That's the sound of cadaver dogs searching for bodies in a mangrove swamp in Tacloban. I first reported from here a few months after that typhoon, which killed around 6,000 Filipinos. Between the strong winds and flooding, the city had largely been destroyed. 
And what kept going through my mind at the time was how someone who was totally blind could have survived that devastation. You see, I'm legally blind. I have a form of macular degeneration, and I'm not sure what I would have done if I was there when the storm hit. So in 2018, I came back to Talk Globon to report on how climate change phenomena, like typhoons, affect people who are blind or who have other disabilities. At Tacloban City Hall, I met 55-year-old Remejijo Reina, who is totally blind and works for a local disabilities council. He tells me that so many people lost their lives back in 2013 because few took the emergency warnings seriously. We are typhoon-prone area in, in Tacloban. We, we have several typhoons in, in a month or in a year. So for us, the Yolanda, maybe we treated that as something normal uh, although we hear we heard over television that it is something we should we should be afraid of at the time reina and his brother lived together in a two-story apartment he says he knew the storm had hit because he could hear all the commotion outside and he could feel it too the the house was a little kind of it moves it's like there was an earthquake so what i did as soon as the typhoon was uh, diminishing, I tried to pack things in my haversack and I want to go out, to go to a hotel. But my brother told me, we cannot go out. There are so many things in the passageway, in, in the pathway that we will be going out. So that was the time I realized that uh, there was dead people already, the, the, the houses were destroyed. And it was a disaster. Even though Reina and his brother lived about three miles inland, the storm surge still struck their home. Everything downstairs was floating. My, my table, my refrigerator was down, my, my gas range, my, my computer, my everything. <laughs> everything was floating. So if I did not go upstairs, maybe I will be, I will be hit by all, that, all of these things. How high did the water go? How, did you, did as you... high as my eyes. Uh, uh, I, uh, in a standing uh, state, huh? Wow. Huh. And you're about what, five? Uh, I think I'm five, four, five, three. So I stayed in my room while my brother was looking for food. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, a lot of prayers. I stayed in the apartment for three days. After three days, my sister uh, came to fetch me to their place. Reina and all other government workers were called back to work about a month after the typhoon. The city was still a disaster site with destroyed buildings and downed trees everywhere. When you came back to Tacloban, so it was only about a month or so after the storm, how was the, for you getting around the city? As long as I have my brother, it was not difficult for me. Even in good times, Tacloban is not an easy place for the blind to get around. Streets are clogged with cars and motorbikes, and sidewalks are cluttered or non-existent. And there's a limited number of jobs for people with visual impairments. I met with Raymond Gaspai, who now lives in a resettlement village on the outskirts of Tacloban that was built for survivors of Typhoon Haiyan. He's blind and used to earn a living as a masseur when he lived downtown. His old home was flooded during the storm. Good nice to meet you, sir. Thank you, sir. Gaspai welcomes me into his new home, a very basic concrete row house. 
The 37-year-old tells me that since moving out here, he can't earn much money anymore. I'm one Before Yolanda, He says before Typhoon Yolanda, he used to give home service massages, and he would earn about $175 a month. But after the storm, he lost most of his clients, and now that he lives out here, he earns only about $60 a month. Gaspai says while he feels safer living far away from the sea, he doesn't feel the resettlement village is accessible for people who are blind. There's no pavement and there are mud puddles everywhere. He doesn't use a cane, so he can only get around with the help of his wife. Clara Francisco says she's not surprised by the lack of consideration for people who are visually impaired or who have other disabilities. She says that it wasn't until after Typhoon Haiyan that the local government even realized that people with disabilities existed. She's president of the Tacloban PWD Federation. I met her outside of a very noisy government office building. Francisco, who as a child contracted polio and now has trouble walking, says people like her have been left out of planning on how to respond to natural disasters. Sometimes we, we are left, we are even forgotten. They wouldn't even um, look for some ways how, how they would reach us. We are less important to them. That is all. That's simple as that. We are less important. Since Typhoon Haiyan, Tacloban's evacuation system has become more inclusive. Now when a storm approaches, megaphone announcements warn the blind and colored flags are raised to alert the deaf. As for Manalin Barande, the blind woman who almost drowned inside of the evacuation center, she says her family won't move away from the waterfront. Her husband is a fisherman and he needs to stay here in order to support the family. Barande tells me that when another typhoon strikes, her five-year-old daughter will guide her to safety. I'm not worried about another typhoon, she says. I know my daughter will help me. She'll be my eyes. I have Jason on the phone and we're discussing what we can do if we're visiting or live in an area where there are hurricanes and floods. One thing that visually impaired people can do when they're traveling to East Coast, especially in the in the southeastern states, first check the weather. Maybe you want to rethink your travel plans to Florida if you know in advance that a, a hurricane is brewing. Charlotte County has a special needs shelter, and people sign up for it online, and when there's a disaster, they are notified that a disaster is possible and that the shelter is open, and if they need transportation to it, it's arranged, and they're allowed to have a caregiver stay there, and... They have 600 people on their special needs list, and they've not unusual to have like 400 people show up. And they always have a traditional shelter next to the special needs shelter for people who may show up late, and like families of folks who are at the special needs shelter can stay there. That's a fantastic service, Nick. And I, and I think in a, in a state like Florida, where you have so many senior citizens, many uh, who have uh, age-related vision loss, uh, that's a great service to have. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure, Nick. Thank you.
You're listening to the Tactile Traveler on KDNK Community Access Radio. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email with story ideas in the subject line. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line at thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. We'd like to thank all the people who sent very thoughtful emails to Raleigh Burley. That's raleigh at kdnk.org to ask KDNK to continue carrying the tactile traveler. As a result, we'll have another program at 4.30 p.m. on December 30th and then be on monthly after that. The program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank the following people who helped make this program possible. Byron Gleason, Todd Dunn, Steve Anton, Lucas Turner and Raleigh Burley, and Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. 